Alright, this is Left Brained, episode 3, recorded Friday, Valentine's Day, alone in my house, nothing but my dog and my cat who refuses to even be in the room while we produce this episode. Much like our disco-themed um, intro music, we're going to start this one a little bit differently. Um, first off, before we talk about anything, just wanted to give a quick shout-out to a movie I saw this week that was pretty fantastic and seems to have been mostly overlooked by the end of the year. Uh, award shows, best of lists, and such. Uh, that movie is Tranbridge Schultz's Waves, about a um, African-American family down in suburban Miami. Uh, we're kind of dealing with a series of crises, seen mostly through the eyes of the son and daughter. The son is a promising wrestler, and the shoulder is few. The daughter feels more like she's been kind of abandoned by the family in favor of the son, and is looking for a companion. And I, with, without giving too much away, that obviously dramatic things happen, as we would expect in any movie. Otherwise, the movie would just be a piece of shit. But... Um, the way Trey Edward Schultz writes and directs this movie, the, the specifically the use of music, sound, and color, um, almost in a way that mimics Malick at some times, the way the camera's moving, always rushing in towards characters, rushing away from them, spinning on a seemingly impossible access to, access to catch different glares, different glances, the way you know the light hits trees, the way the Florida sky looks. All It's a very ethereal piece of cinema, um, you know, I'd say borderline celestial without being overtly religious. Um, it is on Amazon Prime to rent. You can rent it now. Um, all the performances are great. I was especially a fan of, and also especially shocked given his profile, that there was not more recognition uh, for Sterling K. Brown as the father of the family, who really has just some unbelievable scenes where you both love him, hate him, understand him, and want to you know kill him all at the same time. Um, just a really phenomenal film, and so check that out if you can. That is Waves, spelled like sounds, uh, by Trey Edward Schultz. All right. So the main reason that I record any of these episodes is because something happens, and then I decide I should talk about it because I'm bored and I have nothing else to do. Uh, the main the main thing that has happened today is that Stranger Things, the Netflix uh, sci-fi show that has become kind of their bread and butter, probably their biggest show, definitely their biggest series, if not overall original product, um, has released a teaser for its fourth season. Um, at this point, spoilers for Stranger Things seasons one through three, and a teaser for season four, I guess. Um, so this, this uh, teaser is pretty short. You can find it pretty much anywhere. I saw it on Slash Film. Uh, so shout out to Slash Film. Um... Basically, not much shown. It's a kind of tedious little crawl through a Soviet workstation. Um, I assume this is gulag work being done of men, you know, hitting railroad spikes into the ground and freezing conditions. Ominous music. Suddenly, we turn around. One of these men takes his hat off, and it is Sergeant Hopper, who we thought maybe died at the end of Season 3, only to be immediately undercut by the Duffer brothers not having any faith in their writing. And this is maybe something that's happening with Stranger Things and its love of its characters and its actors that's ultimately sort of destroying the show. Um, and see, season one was such a nice, pleasant surprise of you know this interesting blend of the absolute nostalgia for you know um, Steven Spielberg, Stephen King, 
um, probably other people named Stephen, Frank Herbert, things like this, um, where you just had all these kind of wonderful inspirations taken together, molded and built into something new that was full of love for the original source material, but was still kind of doing something a little bit different, a little bit maybe darker than some of the Spielberg stuff, certainly lighter than some of the King stuff. Um, but wore its influences on its sleeve. It was really just a really interesting, good time, a little bit scary, a little bit exciting, um, and just some really, really well-written characters, especially the children, um, you know, kind of headlined by Millie Bobby Brown and Finn Wolfhard. And so then this becomes a phenomenon. Season two comes around and is essentially the same thing as season one. Uh, season three, which premiered over this past summer, changed the formula a little bit. But again, it ended up being a fairly similar proceeding. The main difference is that at the end of this most recent season, Sergeant Hopper, who had taken in Eleven as kind of a surrogate father, uh, seemed to sacrifice himself to shut down a portal um, to the upside down, which had been built under the mall by a group of Soviets that had infiltrated the mall and set up an entire base under there. So going to need a lot more backstory on how that one happened, but I'm sure we won't get it. And the, the entire season, this season four, and just for context here, we, my wife and I watched season three, uh, I think probably 90% of it in the Fort Lauderdale airport on a like 12 hour layover. And so even despite the fact that we were surrounded by annoyed people and we were annoyed at disgusting people ourselves this was still very emotionally affecting one to see this character who we like you know seemingly die but also because the final scene as certain characters are leaving hawkins to kind of branch out and you feel like the show might be finally splitting into a new direction eleven finds a letter written by uh by hopper preceding his death in which he kind of lays out his love for her and as a character who's really never had any concrete origin besides the Upside Down, this is a really moving moment and kind of gives us this glimpse that like really all that Hopper represented as a character, his good, his bad, and how much he, he did really care about Eleven. And so it was this really wonderful emotional moment. It was a great moment to end the season on. But then, of course, um, the Duffers have a little post-series tag scene where we fly over to Russia suddenly and we're listening to people talk of a, there's a cage where you can't see what's inside the cage or the cell, and somebody refers to its contents as the American. And that leads us to believe, well, okay, maybe Hopper's alive somehow, Well, it did seem like he certainly got incinerated. But it also leaves enough doubt that maybe, um, maybe the American's somebody else. Maybe he's somebody from an earlier season. Maybe he's another character who's flipped. Maybe he's a new character that hasn't been introduced yet. Um, it left... A little bit of mystery there, so that Hopper's death still stayed with us emotionally. And then, as we go into the fourth season, we can say, I wonder what happened to Hopper. There's a mystery around it. We don't know for sure. And that can kind of double back and punch you again with that emotion. A similar thing happened at the end of season one, where in the climactic episode, as they're fighting in the school, Eleven is protecting the boys from the Demogorgon. Um, she willingly sacrifices herself to destroy it. And it's kind of this very sad, poignant scene of, you know, the whole series is kind of about how there's ugliness and secrets in the suburbs, even if given in the most kind of conventional Spielbergian way, and that, you know, this is how you lose your innocence, kind of bit by bit on these adventures with your friends. Um, then, you know, Eleven sacrificing herself in front of her friends, and to save them is one of those hallmark moments of, you know, really realizing what the world is, that it's a, you know, harsh, ugly place. Now, at the end of season one, we had a similar little hint that Eleven might be alive when we saw Hopper 
plant a box of Eggo waffles in the woods. Again, thinking, we don't know. Is he just hoping she'll come back? Is she back? We don't know. That payoff was given to us in season two. And it made sense probably to keep Eleven alive. She's one of the best actresses on the show, if not the best. Um, Millie Bobby Brown. Also, just the most probably interesting character that there's still so much to learn about her and so much unresolved in her relationship with Mike. And so it made sense to bring her back as a hero for the second season. And much of the second season, which was fairly maligned, I would say, among people who watched it compared to the first one, is this idea that Eleven wanted to go out and find out who she was before she came back and saved the day in almost identical fashion to the end of season one, except at the end of season two, she ends up just being really gassed and out of energy as opposed to being dead from the effort it took to destroy the Upside Down. Um, So now after destroying a creature from the Upside Down again at the end of season three, um, we, we assume Hopper is dead. And the only major character we should note that's that have that have really died on this show before it are uh, Rudy when he was briefly dating Winona Ryder uh, with Sean Astin and the awesome guy with the mullet who got possessed by demon rats this season. And both of those characters are pretty minor. I don't think anybody really cared that much about what Sean Astin's ultimate arc was. It's clear that the way the writing is going is setting up. Uh, Winona Ryder and David Harbour's character to have some sort of romantic back and forth. And so the most Sean Astin was ever going to be was kind of a side character or a distraction for that. Um, nobody really cared about Billy, the uh, despite his beautiful, beautiful hair. Um, he kind of appeared. He was a jackass to his sister. He was abusive. He was violent. And then he got possessed and was stumbling around evil for a season. And then he uh, died. And, you know, so again, there's there's been there's been death, uh, you know. It's important to know that there has been death of characters we have some sort of connection with, but it's not death that really, you know, shakes you up and leaves you walking away from an episode like, oh man, the rules the rules have really changed. And the problem with that is that Stranger Things is a show that ostensibly, ostensibly rather, is dealing in terms of life and death. If these kids and you know the parents they work with, you know, if this if this motley crew does not destroy once again, a portal to the under, uh, upside down. Um, you know, the fate of Hawkins and the fate of the world, maybe writ large, could hang in the balance. And so if you keep having stakes that high, eventually certain characters need to die in that fight. Um, it's like having a mob show where nobody got killed, or a crime show where nobody got killed, or a fantasy show, a la Game of Thrones, where people kept dying, but everybody who died came back to life. Of course, um, you know, if we look at shows in those kind of archetypes, let's say, um, let's just go with the HBO model of The Sopranos for crime, The Wire, uh, The Sopranos rather as a mafia show, The Wire as a crime show, and Game of Thrones as a fantasy show. Characters that were beloved by the audience died all the time, often completely by surprise and very permanently. And that was something that made the show feel real. It made the stakes feel important when you watch an episode of the wire or uh, I, I do not pretend to be a fan of game of thrones but i certainly know that i've seen friends get pretty heated about their favorite characters getting taken out or watching an episode of the sopranos and knowing the hit's been put on somebody and realizing we're never going to see that character again we've we've traveled the entire journey with this character they're gone um and you can even dial this back to characters and shows like um breaking bad again dealing with life and death or shows that have stakes that feel like life and death, you know, uh, something like Mad Men, where, you know, it's not necessarily 
the end of Don Draper's life or the end of Sterling Cooper's existence and that they're all going to die if they don't nail a pitch. But people might get fired. People might end up really out on their own. And often on that show, people did. People were kind of crushed by the circumstances around them um, and, you know, never seen it from again. And you had to realize, oh, that's, that's how that ended for that character. It was, it was dark. Um, and Stranger Things, for all of its love of kind of playing in the dark, you know, doing the flashlight under the chin, telling you a spooky story, doesn't seem to want to ever really acknowledge that if you're hanging around those dark spots of fiction and genre, dark things need to happen. And even just showing Hopper in this teaser is, is just kneecapping the show. It's such a it's premature way. I'm sure you could have held on and maybe revealed Hopper in the fourth season and maybe we would have bought it. I mean, that, a lot of that's up to the writing of the presentation. Um, I'm sure David Harbour as an actor will be game as he always is. But showing us this in a teaser is just kind of like, oh, that guy who died, not even dead. Come back and watch the show. As opposed to come back and watch the show to see if he's dead. Come back and watch the show to see how Eleven's going to deal with no longer having a dad. Come back and watch the show because now you know, wait, not everybody's going to make it. Maybe, you know, Mike, maybe Nancy, maybe Steve, God help us, hopefully not Steve. You know, maybe these characters aren't going to make it out of this. And that ups the stakes for the show so dramatically. And so watching this teaser and watching them kind of give away at least part of the game so easily is just such a disappointment from somebody who was so kind of pleasantly surprised, shocked, um, and kind of in love with season one in terms of the fact that it was a show that was very much in conversation with the things I loved growing up. You know, movies like Alien, the Stephen King books, um, things E.T., Close Encounters, all of that stuff. And, you know, now it just seems like it's a show that um, is just kind of finding ways to justify its existence on cheap cliffhangers. And while I know it's a big moneymaker for Netflix, Netflix has not been shy about pulling the plug on shows in the past. I'm not saying by any means that Stranger Things should be canceled, but um, perhaps that when this became a phenomenon and they realized they were going to make more of it and it was all going to focus on the same characters, might have been nice to have a plan, might have been nice to say we have X amount of seasons, here's where we want everybody to land, here's who's going to live, here's who's going to die. This seems more like flying by the seat of your pants. It reminds me a little bit more of something like Infinity War where you watch, you know, after Martin Scorsese kind of uh, teed off on Marvel saying it was theme park cinema and then everybody got into a conniption about it. Um, I believe it was Kevin Feig, head of Marvel, who said, you know, well, we did have a movie where we killed half our characters at the end, referring to Infinity War and the Thanos, you know, snap. The problem with that was the minute everybody saw it, we all knew those characters weren't dead. We knew they were coming back somehow, partially because, you know, the devotees of the comics know how this goes, um, partially because we know there's an Endgame, you know, an Infinity War Part Two that eventually became Endgame, and also because we already know that all these characters have signed on for sequels, and unless you're going to do some enormous um, jumping around parallel alternate universes and timelines, those characters can't remain dead. You can't make Black Panther have it get nominated for an Oscar, you know, become one of the highest grossing movies of all time, and kill T'Challa and just say... Yeah, he's dead forever, actually. He's not coming back. It's not going to work. And, and so you know, you just know it's not. It'd be like if you killed Harry Potter in Harry Potter book six. You know that the death is not permanent. Compared to in Endgame, when we see 
two characters exit the stage full-time, one in death, uh, Tony Stark, and one who chooses to kind of move back out of the frame with um, Captain America, who I think's name is Steve Rogers, but don't crucify me if I get that wrong, all three of you who listen to this, because I'm not a Marvel guy. But we know when we get to those moments, based on how the filming unfolds, how the storytelling works, that, that those characters aren't gone. They're, they are largely, whether or not Tony Stark you know, comes back in some sort of robot form or you know, AI, who knows, or if they ever go back in time and get Captain America again. But for, by and large, we know that that is the end of those characters' journey. And there's emotion there. And too many people I know say they cried when they saw it, which is just something you should never tell anybody. But at the end of Infinity War, y- you know that's a, you know, it's, it's pulling the rug out from under you, but, there's, but they're going to put the rug back nice and neat under you anyway. You know, it's a trick. It's, it's a sleight of hand. You might feel emotion in the moment, but you know those characters are coming back. You, it, there's, there's mystery in seeing how they're going to do it. There's mystery in seeing, okay, well, half these people died how are you going to reverse engineer half of the universe or half of the population of the Earth dying? But um, we're now Stranger Things have just kind of gone and done the same thing, saying, you know, okay, you thought Hopper was dead. He's not dead. And not only that, we're not even going to get to the Infinity War endgame. We don't know how we're going to bring him back. He's just back. Here's the teaser. Here he is. He's working in the cold. He looks unpleasant. Looks like he shaved his beard. He's bald. Um, you know, I'm sure he's on the wrong side of the KGB. But, um... Who cares? You know, why Why did we expand that emotion if it was all kind of just always been set up that this was not, we, we had it out. We know you like this character. He's back. We got you. We fooled you. And it's a little bit like we talked on the first episode um, about 1917 kind of being a technological trick in terms of we're going to try to shoot this as continuously and as seamlessly as we can so it feels like an immersive experience. And that's how we're going to get around bad storytelling. Um, this seems like how you get around unsure storytelling or just cowardly storytelling where you say, yeah, we killed that character. We knew he was popular, but, um, oh, well, I guess we're going to bring him back because, you know, he's popular. Hey, and we like him. And so, uh, my hopes for Stranger Things season four, obviously I will still watch this show. I like the show and, but it seems to be coming more and more just like binging silly entertainment than a show that actually really had any sort of place in terms of whatever we want to call peak TV. And um, to cut yourself off again at the knees like this, to just say, you know, hey, here's a spoiler, and it's basically going to undo everything you felt at the end of last season, is a uh, pretty big disappointment. So um, Duffer Brothers kind of shot their own dick off there. Thank you.